This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Boston. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss the rise in incidences of dementia with Dr. Joshua Armstrong. We'll learn the seven words that will lead to a better year with author Becky Kemp. We'll discover the ways in which sugar harms your health with author and nutritionist Maria Dello. And lastly, we'll find out about the results of a recent survey regarding Canadian opinions on healthy lifestyle aspirations with nutraceutical CEO Bill Russell. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. Each year, at least 1.7 million adults in the United States develop sepsis and approximately 350,000 of them will die from this serious blood infection that can trigger a life-threatening chain reaction throughout the entire body. In a new study published in the recent edition of NPJ Digital Medicine, researchers at the University of California San Diego School of Medicine utilized an artificial intelligence model in the emergency departments at UC San Diego Health in order to quickly identify patients at risk for sepsis infection. The study found that the AI algorithm, which was previously developed by the research team, resulted in a 17% reduction in mortality. I'll be joined by Dr. Joshua Armstrong in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. Question. What's the best way to make sure you're getting the most up-to-date and accurate health and wellness information? Answer. The Tonic Newsletter, of course. Visit www.thetonic.ca and sign up today. Dr. Joshua Armstrong is a research scientist for the Alzheimer's Society of Canada and currently lives with his family in Thunder Bay, Ontario. With a multidisciplinary background in health sciences, Josh brings research expertise in data analytics, gerontology, epidemiology, health measurement, and public health to the organization. He completed his PhD at the University of Waterloo in the School of Public Health and Health Systems in 2013. Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So the Alzheimer's Society recently conducted a study entitled The Many Faces of Alzheimer's. What was the purpose of that study? So it's The Many Faces of Dementia, and the purpose of that study was to build off the work that we put out in 2022, uh, also with the landmark study title. And what that study in 2022 did was look at projections for dementia in Canada from 2020 to 2050, what, what the main result from that was is what we're expecting the numbers in Canada to almost triple to 1.7 million people living with dementia in, in the country by, by that time. What we wanted to do with the second study is break that down a little bit, really put a face to those numbers by looking across the different population groups who might be developing dementia during that time period to get a better sense of what to expect for the country. So, you know, in my introduction, I said many faces of Alzheimer's, and I sort of conflated Alzheimer's and dementia. So maybe we should we should talk about, you know, the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. Can you sort of walk us through that? 
happy to do so. Yeah, Alzheimer's disease is a is one of the main causes for dementia. So dementia is typically considered an umbrella term. It's a word that describes a, a range of different symptoms that are caused by disruptions to the brain, how it functions, that reduce a person's ability to perform their everyday activities. Symptoms for dementia are, can include but are not limited to things like memory loss, uh, difficulties with attention, uh, difficulties with problem solving, changes in language, changes in mood and behavior. Uh, also, you have issues with vision, balance, movement. So anything that really has to do with the function of the brain. And there's several subtypes of dementia. The main one, as I said, was Alzheimer's disease, but we can also talk about vascular dementia, frontal temporal dementia, young onset dementia. Uh, and another important thing to recognize, too, is that we like these categories, but really when we look at older adults, they often have multiple things going wrong with, with inside their brains. So the, the idea of having mixed pathologies or mixed dementia is a, a, something that's growing uh, in terms of our understanding of what causes these challenges in late life. Okay, so in that the new study is sort of a follow-up study from, from the one a few years ago. What are some of the key takeaway points in, in the study in, in, in terms of putting a face on, on dementia, as you put it? Sure, yeah. Like, we really wanted to uh, put a face to those numbers, so we embed stories of people living with dementia across the whole report. And there are four main topics that we cover, uh, one being dementia in Indigenous populations, another one being differences across ethnicities in terms of dementia, also covering differences between the sexes and genders in, in terms of dementia outcomes. And finally, we have a chapter that focuses strictly on young onset dementia, and that's when dementia occurs uh, in individuals prior to the age of 65. Yeah. Those individuals with young onset have unique challenges that, that we raise within the, in the work. Yeah, un- unfortunately, there was somebody my wife worked with, and uh, she had early onset dementia and, and recently passed away from it. And I believe she actually started showing signs in her 50s. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's younger than people think, right? Yeah, the majority of dementia does occur in older adults. Age is the strongest risk factor for dementia. However, there's growing recognition of the fact that dementia can occur in younger adults in their 50s, early 60s, and even sometimes in their 40s. And because of the time where that occurs in the life course, it raises a number of unique challenges. The person could be in the middle of their career. The finance issues come up in mind, but you can also have dependents, children that, that rely on that person. So because it happens at an earlier time in, in one's life, it can, raise, it can raise a whole number of different challenges that you might not see in someone in their 70s or 80s developing dementia. Let's circle back to the indigenous population. What was the, like, why was that? Did you sort of elaborate on that because the statistics showed you something specific? Or was this something that you intended to look at going into the study and and it was borne out by the numbers that you got? Really, it's driven by the data that we have. We have key demographics that we can break the data down by. Uh, So ethnicity is one. And we chose to kind of separate out indigenous populations because of their unique circumstances uh, so we we wanted to address some of those uh, within the report itself. And within that population, we often think of them as a younger group of individuals, a younger population, but they're also considered to be aging, just like the rest of our Canadian population, a growing number of people over the age of 65. And as I mentioned, with age being a, the strongest risk factor for dementia, well, we expect to see stronger numbers within the population. However, it's, it's also important to focus on 
other factors that influence health outcomes in indigenous populations. Right. I, I was I would be thinking like resources and the fact that they probably live in areas where there's sparser population, less access to medical care, less resources. Were those things that you were looking at or, or was that not for this particular study? Yeah, we did. Like, well, what we do with the study, we have data, we can share some outcomes, but then we want to do a, a thorough literature review to better understand and really set the context for those numbers. So if we look at the health of indigenous populations in Canada, the health outcomes can be driven by what are called the social determinants of health. So things like income, education, employment, these things can all influence health outcomes and, and also help influence dementia outcomes. So we wanted to highlight that, highlight that using the, the report. And you also mentioned, I believe, uh, the Asian population, not aging, but Asian. Sorry, I slur my words. But but mm-hmm. is that because there's been an influx of new Canadians who are Asian, or is there something else that's driving the, the increase in, in dementia in Canada amongst that population? Yeah, so the, the model illustrates that in 2020, uh, about 8% of people living with dementia were of Asian origin, so that's either East Asian or South Asian. And by 2050, that percentage, uh, that chunk of the pie of people living with dementia, is expected to grow upwards to almost 25%. So by 2050, one in four people living with dementia in Canada, and that's that growing big number of 1.7 million, 25% of them are one in four will be of Asian origin. So there's a shift in that, and that shift is primarily driven by demographic characteristics. Back in the 1970s, we saw a shift on in immigration where people right. came to Canada from, and those individuals that came during those decades are now getting older, which really drives the numbers up. It isn't that Asians are at greater risk of developing dementia, it's just the makeup of the Asian population in Canada, and they're, they're getting older. So what are, the, what are the ramifications of that, specifically? I think we need to uh, set up systems of care to try to support people from different cultures and different backgrounds. So recognizing the fact that there is this diversity in the country, making sure that we have educational supports that are in different languages that match the culture of individuals that are culturally safe. So people can see themselves within the work. They can um, have suggestions that are based on their own kind of understanding of dementia and their own behavior. So then hopefully uh, address those in a better way. So really tailoring the system to meet the needs of the individual. Okay, and I, and I guess that speaks to the issue of, of, like, why focus on the demographics, right? Like, this is, this is to help drive solutions, I gather, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's important. Like, it's widely recognized that we have, have a diverse population and then right. our older adults are getting more, more diverse. So I think it's good to reflect on the fact that our population of people with dementia will also be diverse, and I think... There's not a one-size-fits-all approach that works for dementia, so it's really important to kind of break things down and, and to take a more nuanced approach so we can optimize the care system for, for individuals. So did this study just focus on the numbers, or are there extrapolations in terms of how you would deal with these populations? We do ha- offer a range of ways that we can optimize support systems for all Canadians. Uh, so at the end of the report, we raise a number of different recommendations to help address some of these challenges. So, so what are what are some of those recommendations that you made that, that would, might be of interest to the listeners? Sure, there's a range of them. If we think about the Indigenous population, we've suggested that we need to increase resources dedicated to addressing these social determinants of brain health for Indigenous populations. We can also apply that to different 
ethnic groups as well and say that we need to dedicate more time to understand how social determinants of health influence brain health and, there, and thereby also influence dementia outcomes. We also need to enhance our national dementia strategy and, and enhance their efforts to raise further awareness of these ethnic and racial differences in dementia and also in these social determinants of health, so a federal kind of approach to trying to uh, raise these issues about differences across groups. And also I think we need to work to address cultural and linguistic barriers to optimize dementia care to help improve outcomes for individuals from all ethnic and racial backgrounds. And those are just three three points, but yeah, there are many listed. We break down the recommendations uh, across those main topics that I've talked about, but then also from different lenses. So what can we, the Alzheimer's Society, do right. to start to work towards this? What can the healthcare systems do? Different levels of government, and also what researchers do to, to try to uh, better address this growing public health challenge that we will see in the years to come. So in terms of the Alzheimer's Society itself, like what, what changes do you perceive would be necessary given what you've just learned from this study? Trying to work more closely with different communities to try to understand what their needs are. We're trying to build relationships and try to build trust to try to, to, to better serve those communities. The Alzheimer's Society has local organizations from coast to coast to coast that help support people living with dementia. So making sure that those organizations have the, the resources and programming to uh, try to meet the needs of their local population. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of growing efforts just, just to try to uh, spread education. We, we develop different educational supports in different languages. We're always trying to grow and because we recognize there's this diversity and how, to, how we best meet it. Is, the best way to do that, I think, is to try to include those people and discuss, talk with them and figure out how we can best help them, what, what their needs are. I, I'm going to ask you a question of clarification. When you talk about people living with dementia, do you mean people who actually have dementia or perhaps are maybe susceptible to, to dementia? Or are you also talking about people who live with somebody with dementia or a family member or a caregiver with somebody with, with dementia? That's a good question. When I talk about people living with dementia, I am specifically talking about those who have the condition. But it's important to recognize that for every person living with dementia, there's a team of family members that exist around them to help support them. Data coming from the Canadian Institute for Health Information indicates that, on average, people living with dementia have a care partner, someone from their family or from their, a neighbor, someone, a loved one, spending 26 hours per week taking care of them. So a lot of work goes on is, is given by what is technically called informal caregivers. Uh, so we at the Alzheimer's Society actually spend a lot of time and effort trying to um, educate and support caregivers for people living with dementia. And, you know, one of the topics I think you mentioned earlier when you, when you were talking about this more granular study was uh, from a demographic perspective, a male versus female. Are there more women who are going to develop dementia or are those numbers pretty much what, what, what were before? So if you look at the trends, not just in Canada, but in the U.S., the U.K., most Western countries, women almost outnumber men at a rate of two to one when it comes to dementia diagnoses. Hmm. Um, so in our data, it's about 62% of people living with dementia are uh, female. A lot of reasons can be suggested for why this is. One of the ones that's often focused in on is that on average, women live longer. four years longer yeah. than men in Canada, yeah. which gives them more time to develop the condition. Right. But I thought it was going to be as simple as that, but when you dig into it, it's much more complex than that. If you adjust your, your data 
to account for that. In some places in the world, um, there is no difference between the sexes. In other places, there is. So you need to think that there are there's something related to sex and gender that influences dementia risks. This can range from hormones to things like education levels and occupation throughout a life course, and, and, and the list uh, goes on. The chapter breaks it down in much more detail, and much more work is actually needed to be done by researchers to better understand these differences. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. That was Dr. Joshua Armstrong. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss seven words for a better new year on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Attention men over 50. Do you search for restrooms everywhere you go? Wake up several times at night just to go pee again? Are symptoms of a benign and large prostate taking over? Prostate Perform helps reduce the urgency and frequency of pesky pit stops in as little as 7 to 10 days. Available exclusively through natural health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always follow label directions. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Becky Kemp is a certified life coach and mentor who's dedicated to helping others recognize that change is possible and that each of us is capable of creating a beautiful life. She also serves as a board member of the National Speakers Association and is an active volunteer in her church and community. Uh, Driven by the desire to spread and inspire goodness, Becky Kemp is dedicated to sharing the power found in positive words. From the onset of her clothing brand, Becoming Threads, to her current podcast called The Word Effect, Uh, She loves speaking and coaching about how words matter. Welcome to the show, Becky. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much, Jamie, for having me. So why, what is the word effect? You you just wrote a book. Why did you, why did you write that? What a great question. Uh, The word effect is each one of us has the power to change our lives and it has to do with the words we put in our lives. So I call it the, the word effect. And if you're not creating your most beautiful life, you have the power to choose that by simply becoming aware to your words and changing the way you talk to yourself and the words that you put in your life. So there's a saying, what you think about, you bring about. That's what the word effect is. And so over the last 10 years, I've discovered the power of words in my own life and then seven simple words that I believe everybody has access to and can put in their lives. If they're feeling stuck, are discouraged in any area of their life. So when you say putting words in, you mean using those words or using them and describing yourself? Like, can you give me an example? Yeah, putting on words each day. Like, a lot of times we think about getting into shape physically, right? right? And we need to go to the gym and exercise certain muscles to make them stronger. Mm -hmm. But how often do we think about putting our mind muscles to work, the thoughts we think about? We oftentimes don't think about it. We'll spend more time each morning 
thinking about what we might wear than what we're going to say to ourselves. So little mantras or little phrases are super powerful. And so finding those words that matter to you, they make a difference. So if you think negative thoughts all day, you're going to end up having more of a negative day. It's called a negative bias. And so becoming empowered by the power of words, putting on phrases and words that that matter. And what I like to say is we have to exercise our minds. So what words are you choosing to think about today? Life's going to go as it goes. There's so many things we don't have control of, but we can control where our focus is. And so that's what I help people see through coaching and speaking. So is this about positive affirmations and, and positive thoughts? In other words, we're manifesting our positive thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's the start of manifesting positive thoughts, but it's actually helping you take action from okay. a different place. So we can write down a bunch of positive thoughts and read them every day, but we have to like internalize them and fill them. And so as a life coach, I help people see that what you think about is determined how you feel and what you feel determines the actions you take. And so if you're not creating the results you want, it's not necessarily that you need to just change your actions right there. You need to go back to how you're thinking because what you think about determines what you do each day. So I I just want to understand a a little bit about the words that we think about or how we think. Are you saying it's about our mindset and that will direct which words we are using to think about? Or are you saying literally there are certain words that we should be thinking about and that will change our mindset? I guess it's a chicken and egg type question. Yeah, I mean, it's. let me give you an example of how I discovered the power of words in my own life. About 10 years ago, I had this life that looked really great on the outside. I was happily married, or so it looked. I had children, but inside, I was not happy, and I was not feeling fulfilled. And I was waiting for somebody or something to find joy and to find my own happiness. You know, when my kids grow up or when we make more money or, and there's so much uncertainty in life. And I discovered that I was giving all my power away to other people and to other things and other situations. And so what I decided was to start becoming aware to my own words. And in my book, I further describe how that all happened. But what I, what I found was putting on different words. So the first phrase that I remember really consciously thinking about and putting in my life was this one. I accept myself unconditionally right now. And I heard this on a documentary, and they said, say this to yourself every morning, every middle of the day, and every evening. Well, I didn't accept myself unconditionally right then. I was full of anxiety and depression. So I decided to write those words down, and I thought, what do I have to lose? The words are free, and I have access to them. So I just decided to try the suggestion. I started to say it to myself in the morning when I was brushing my teeth. I accept myself unconditionally right now. I started to say it at night when I'd brush my teeth. I hung a little piece of paper in my bathroom mirror because that's where I consistently, you know, could remember it. Nothing changed overnight. But again, like I mentioned, it's like exercising that muscle. Over time, I realized that I began to accept myself unconditionally. I found that I could love myself and experience joy despite the circumstances that aren't happening. And then over time, I started to see that little phrases or words would gravitate towards me. So I like to say words are like our compass. So I'm not here to tell you what words you need, but I want to help people see 
how to find words. And that's what my book's about, seven simple words to create your most beautiful life. The first word is acknowledge, you know, acknowledging maybe you want more out of your life or that you're wanting a better experience here or there. And getting back into the driver's seat of what you have power of over, and that has to do with the words you think about. Is it also about the words you are trying not to think about? Because I happen to be one of those glass half empty guys, and my interior monologues would probably horrify pretty much anybody if, if they were broadcast. So is it about restricting those negative thoughts too, or do they just get crowded out by the positive words? Well, maybe not restricting them, but deciding how long you want to stay focused there. Right. So I was a half empty kind of person, too, with the glass. My husband was an eternal optimist. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm just a realist. But what I realized is I was just holding myself back. So we're not going to just walk around thinking happy thoughts all the time, but we can redirect our thoughts. And so the acronym I like to say is each day I try to put on positivity. Trying means today redirect your thoughts for good. Right, Each and every day, just like you decide to exercise your muscle, your bicep muscle, and you're going to try, doesn't mean that you're going to get you know, these great arms in two days, right? You have to practice it. But it, it gives you the power to find joy in living the life that you are living instead of waiting for your life to get to a certain point for when you can find joy. So many people, when I coach and talk to them, They're just letting their circumstances determine how they feel. But most circumstances in life, we can't change. We just, it it is what it is, right? I mean, I'm a mom of five boys, and I got asked all the time, didn't you want a girl? Well, of course I did, but that's just not how my family came to me. But I I find joy, and I love my life being a mom of all, all boys instead of focusing on what I didn't have, right? So it's just that little shift of changing where you focus. So it's perspective. It's all about perspective. Becoming the CEO of your own thoughts. Becoming in charge of you, right? And so, again, it's learning how to look at the glass half full instead of half empty. And some days, I'll be honest, I don't want to. Like, I'm still a human being living in a human experience. I'm not just always happy. I still have hard things or things that I don't like happen in my life. But I don't have to get stuck in the depression and the anxiety, I have the power to change my focus when I'm ready. And that's what my seven words talk about is how to get out of the wishing and wanting to create your most beautiful life and actually how to create it. So you started with acknowledgement. Uh, Is that, is that where, is that, were you just using that as an example or do you see that as the first word that people should that use. That is the first word. That's the first word in the word effect is acknowledging. Acknowledging you want something different or that you want change. In order to change anything, you have to acknowledge something, right? Because if not, you won't you won't change anything, right? Like if I if I'm not making enough money in my job, I need to acknowledge I want a better job. I have to I have to get to that point to then take the steps to apply for a different job or get more education or do something. So acknowledge is the first step to anything. Okay. We have time for one last question. Can you tell us, okay. the, can you tell us uh, the second word or is that giving away yeah. too much information? Yeah. The next word is ask and the power of questions, the power of curiosity, the power of asking questions to 
enable yourself to look for solutions. So a quick example is this. I found myself when I was in negative thinking, I was always focused on the why. Why is this happening to me? Why this? Why that? I'll go back to my little story. Why did I have to be a mom of all boys? Mm -hmm. When we focus on the whys, our brain naturally looks for the negative. But when we learn to focus on the hows, and this is, I teach this more in my book, how do I step forward being a mom of five boys? How do I create my most beautiful life? It actually helps our brain look for positive solutions. Our brain is a processor. And if we teach it how to ask correct or better questions, we can learn to process and get better answers. So it's just learning to ask better questions. So each word I go through, I explain why the power behind that word. All the words start with the letter A, and they all help us to create our most beautiful life. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to help people see the power of words. That was Becky Kemp. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how sugar can be damaging your health on The Tonic. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Erin Wellness, empowering women through holistic health is more than just a mission, it's their passion. Leaning on the latest scientific research, they've crafted a range of all-natural, high-grade supplements to support women in their unique health journeys. Whether it's perimenopause, hormonal imbalances, sleep issues, or weight loss, each product purchase comes with a comprehensive program complete with educational materials, nutritional information, and strategies for long-term health and wellness. Made for women by women, Erin Wellness supplements are available online at Erin wellness.com or at select health stores across Canada. Start your transformation with Aaron Wellness today and experience the change that they bring to lives. Visit AaronWellness.com. That's A-E-R-Y-O-N wellness.com because your journey to wellness begins here. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. More than half of Americans exceed the dietary guidelines for the recommendation to limit added sugar intake to less than 10% of total calories. And I presume the numbers are similar here in Canada. They're eating on average over 25 teaspoons of sugar a day, or nearly 20% of their total calories. The U.S. has one of the highest overall obesity rates in the world. Over 30 million Americans have diabetes, and another 84 million are at risk of developing diabetes. Nutritionist Maria Dello is here today to discuss ways in which sugar is harmful to our health. Welcome to the show, Maria. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this has been uh, a real issue the past, I mean, since 1970, when high fructose corn syrup came out, that's when things um, got really horrible because not only did the high fructose corn syrup levels go up, the also did the obesity level go up. So, um, 
I say I've been practicing for about 24 years now in my practice. And, you know, years ago I was giving people sort of like a challenge and I would give them a bracelet that would say, you know, stop the sugar, you know, just for like 30 days, like a sugar challenge basically. And when people really got off this sugar, I mean, they dramatically felt better, but it was a real challenge getting them off the sugar. So I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we cover issues like obesity and diabetes and heart disease a lot. And, and, and I think I think my listeners are well aware that sugar, you know, harms our health by by contributing to, to obesity and diabetes and heart disease, of course. But there's nine other things that you say that sugar does. So I'd like to go through them. Let's talk about blood glucose levels. So mm-hmm. how, how does sugar impact blood glucose levels? Well, it, it raises your blood sugar, and therefore you have that incentive sets off an insulin response, and that causes, um, and then when you have too much sugar, it gets stored as glycogen, and then when you have too much insulin, that all causes um, a cascade of health issues and basically causes inflammation. I mean, just the spike of blood sugar could cause mood swings, fatigue, headaches. I mean, like you said, we already know it causes obesity, diabetes, heart disease. And because it causes so much inflammation, we get an immune uh, response right. because of that inflammation response. Um, it also causes a chromium deficiency. And as we know, chromium helps um, regulate the, um, the blood sugar. So with that, um, as these... The blood sugar spikes, you know, it gets stored. And then, um, so there's only two things that can really help us burn uh, energy, and that's fat, right? And then that's, and now we have an excess of blood sugar, and that gets stored as fat. So, you know, clearly Americans, I mean, the average American weighed, uh, I think in 1970, one. Average average man was 166. Now the average man weighs 191. The average woman in 1970 weighed 140. Now the average woman weighs 164. So it's clear there's a there's an epidemic of obesity. Plus, I mean, look at the food that's just laced with sugar. Just four grams of sugar is one teaspoon. Now, interestingly, is just yesterday. I took one of my patients to uh, one of the grocery stores, and we went through, you know, the store and reading labels because I was teaching um, an adolescent how to go through the grocery store and pick healthier foods. Well, what a surprise. All the foods, even the breads from the jellies, from the peanut butter, from the ketchup, all laced with sugar. So one of the products had like 32 grams of sugar. So, I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of sugar that's in our food. How does, so, so you know, if chromium regulates sugar, I guess the issue is with too much, uh, you know, added sugar, you're just putting stress on the whole system that metabolizes sugar. That's essentially it, right? So when, you ha- when you're impacting chromium, when you're turning sugar into fat, when it's being stored, your body is just trying to cope with the excess amounts of sugar. Yes, and 
yeah. And that causes a stress response as well. Right. So that impacts your immunity because with more inflammation, it, it becomes chronic, right? Like, if, so if you continue to consume sugar, you, you're getting chronic inflammation as opposed to like stress, like an individual instance of inflammation because of illness. And when your body is constantly under stress, that impacts the ability for, you know, the immunity to, to fight off other diseases because it's busy trying to deal with the existing inflammation, right? Correct. And it causes so much inflammation that it can affect your eyes. It can affect, it swells your arteries, right? So these arteries get um, actually swollen in inflammation. And then as the blood flows through, it can get even clots. You can get, um, you know, strokes. Uh, it causes kidney inflammation. Um, and then don't forget, uh, sugar kind of follows water. You know, those it's like a sponge, so it increases urination at night, so it disrupts our sleep as well. How does sugar accelerate aging? Well, you know, there's something called uh, glycation. It's sort of like, almost like if when you cut an apple and it, you get that brown spot. That's exactly what it does inside our cells. And uh, we can e- even get um, sagging skin. We can get brown spots. Um, and people, you know, that eat an enormous amount of sugar, I mean, they even get a puffy face from being swollen. Uh, their skin looks dry because don't forget they're going to be dehydrated because as you eat more sugar, you're going to be urinating more, so then you get dehydrated. It depletes all the minerals. So um, even stiffness, even pain, um, achy joints, headaches, I mean, I've been talking about sugar for so long. You know, people often when they say, well, how do I lose weight? I said, well, let's start off by, you know, avoiding sugar at all costs. And they say, well, well, how many calories and what should I eat? And really, you know, once you get off that sugar, you know, that is the key to uh, losing weight and to longevity as well. Um, you, You will feel different in exactly 30 days just by avoiding sugar. And it's not... It's not an easy task, and uh, people, you know, feel dramatically better. I mean, they have better skin, they lose weight, their bones feel different, and they get headaches, too, when they eat all that sugar. And look what it does to children. You know, um, they get hyperactivity. They've even been diagnosed with ADHD, so it is um, really something to examine. I think we know that sugar, you know, isn't great for your teeth. But I understand it It also sort of impacts your gums as well. Do you, do you want to explain that? Sure. I mean, look, sugar causes decay, right, And which can lead to um, gum disease. And we all know that gum disease can lead to heart disease. So, I mean, there's evidence showing it can cause um, chronic infections, um, some result with periodontal disease, uh, and then that can lead to uh coronary artery disease. So there is a popular um, theory that is correlated with uh, heart disease as well. So, you know, even sugar affects uh, cognitively with uh, even elderly people too, and mostly children. A few moments ago, you mentioned that sugar depletes nutrients. Do you want to sort of elaborate on that a bit? Sure. I mean, basically, uh, the more sugar you have, you know, you're going to get this insulin response. You're going to get a, 
spike in blood sugar, you're going to have more cravings. Then it's sort of like a cycle. Then you're going to be urinating more. So all those minerals that give us energy and alkalize us are going to be depleted. So that entail, again, ends up with, um, with aging, glycation. Um, so it is just a cascade of, of issues. And, you know, look, when you have a, an abundance of minerals that you get from vegetables and water, you know, it's not how much water you drink, it's how you absorb the water. So when you absorb the water and it gets absorbed, it is, it's, it's plumping up those cells in our skin. So what happens when we eat sugar? We get um, depleted, basically, from magnesium, potassium, all the minerals that we need. And by the way, the minerals help us with heart function too, right? So it is just crucial that we have uh, minerals in our body. No, I get that. Are, are you saying that, like, the North American diet is so sugar-laden that, you know, we can't consume the foods that have all these nutrients? I just want to understand a little bit better how the, the correlation between not getting enough nutrients and, and, and sugar. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because um, people come in and they say, well, how much sugar can I have? Right. I mean, look, I'm a strict nutritionist. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I would say, you know, zero. But, you know, then people get into a very interesting question as they say, well, wait a minute, you know, what do you mean by sugar? Right. Can, yeah. I eat an, can I eat an apple? Can I eat an orange? Or So, yeah, I always say if God made it, it's perfect. And once we get to it, we mess it up. So if you're going to eat an apple and it has, you know, 8 grams of sugar, guess what? It has fiber and nutrients and vitamin C, right, and glutathione. So those are going to absorb slowly opposed to a piece of um uh, cake, right, yep. which has, you know, 50 grams of sugar and it's going to spike your blood sugar immediately. And let's examine the, the apple, too, by the way. So if you eat an apple and then it's absorbed slowly and you're getting fiber and makes you feel full, opposed to drinking apple juice. Right. So just yesterday, I looked at a very popular brand and literally there was like 49 grams of sugar in a serving. So that is just like liquid liquid sugar. You know, it wasn't intended to be juiced and eaten like that because look what it can do. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. That was Maria Della. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. 
Bill Russell is the visionary force propelling Magnum Nutraceuticals, Inc. into unprecedented heights as its CEO since purchasing the Canadian company in April of 23. With a remarkable career spanning over two decades in the dynamic realm of health and fitness, Bill's evolution from a personal trainer in university to competitive bodybuilder, astute investor, board member, and accomplished executive epitomizes his relentless pursuit of delivering game-changing results. Welcome to the show, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So I understand you and your company recently conducted a survey of Canadians to get their insights into healthy lifestyles. Can you tell us uh, why you did the survey and how it was conducted? Sure. So we were uh, we contacted Angus Reid uh, to do the survey for us. We wanted to, to uh, get a, a wide array of Canadians across the country uh, covering various dem- demographics, uh, both English and French. Uh, so we surveyed just over 1,500 people. And we went to the market essentially to just do a little touch point on checking in with our consumers to see exactly what can- Canadians need and want. Uh, we have uh, several hundred athletes that we work with and so we have their perspective on a regular basis and then our retail clients are constantly telling us what they believe their customers need but we thought it was important to reach out to canadians to get their perspective from from them directly so what were some of the key takeaway points from the survey from your perspective well we had a bunch of interesting uh stats that came back to us and and some of them were in line with what we thought and then some of them were actually made us smile a little bit uh i mean uh, the one that i like to point out to people which is uh is very kind of a bit of a fun fact is that uh, although Canadians are known for being happy, friendly people, uh, still 88% of the people said, uh, 88% of the people surveyed indicated that they would want to focus on being nicer, <laughs> which again is maybe indicative of how, how the Canadian population is wired. So uh, that was an interesting stat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the other one that I think, uh, you know, was also struck me uh, was the fact that 66% of the people surveyed indicated that they wanted to reduce their time on social media. And in light of all of the, the discussions around social media and its implications on, on our mental and, and health well-being, uh, you know, we think we realize that, you know, people are finally starting to, to recognize the importance of putting away their phone, engaging with people, friends, family. So that was a really uh, a great stat to see that people are recognizing the need and that now it's just a matter of making those changes in their lifestyles easier said than done perhaps well you know we all know that the phone is kind of uh, almost attached to our hands at this point and you know most of us would rather lose our car keys or our wallet than our phone at this point because it's it's literally the lifeblood of everything we do but uh, yeah i think as long as we're aware of it then we can start to make changes so uh, that, that was definitely a, a big stat that came back to us on the health and wellness side uh, what was nice to see was people recognize the need uh, to constantly look at managing their health, their food intake, and getting the proper nutrients. So, you know, we did get a couple of uh, very interesting stats that came back uh, from people saying, you know, 85% of Canadians prioritize getting more fruits and vegetables in their diet. You know, 91% of Canadians recognize uh, that healthy food in a convenient and easy way to prepare was important. So those are some of the things that we looked at to, to say, you know, in this day and age where people are extremely busy, uh, you know, between work and the traffic that we're in and lifestyle with kids, uh, you know, the convenience of food makes things more challenging. And we all know that, you know, pre-prepared foods, things that come out of boxes or fast food restaurants typically are loaded with things that aren't great for us. And although they may be easy solutions, sometimes looking for better, healthier options uh, is really important. Yeah, I, I mean, I do the food shopping for my family, and you know, it's it's always interesting to me when I go to checkout when I look and see what other people have on the little conveyor belt, you know, and and right. and you know, I have the luxury of 
being able to spend, you know, an hour, hour and a half each day preparing dinner. Like if I needed it, like, I, you know, I don't want right. to do that every day, but you know, I, I, much of my time at work is actually spent at home and I actually like to eat and I like to cook. So for me, it's an important part of the day. But I remember back from when my kids were younger and I wasn't working in the home and neither was my wife, you know, struggling to get a meal on the table, leaving aside whether it was healthy or not, uh, was a challenge. And I think it's even more of a challenge now because uh, food costs, uh, particularly food costs uh, of whole foods, has really skyrocketed. Yeah, we definitely we've seen the inflation in the food environment that you know really set sail uh, at the beginning of COVID when we had the logistics issues and and supply demand challenges, and we really haven't seen that pull back at all. So I think that you know we've got uh, we're in a rising interest rate environment, putting additional pressures on people's uh, cash flow and, and managing their lifestyle expenses, and at the same time still trying to make good healthy uh, choices while food and other prices uh, of other commodities are, are increasing. So it really is a, a balancing act for most Canadians. And like you say, some of us are fortunate to have the luxury of, of having time to prepare good foods uh, and healthy foods, uh, whereas others are, are certainly on, on certain occasions are more rushed, and that can make it really difficult. Right. Were there any other uh, results other than the fact that we'd like to be nicer that surprised you from the survey? Um, so an interesting stat, I would say, is that, you know, 21% of the of the population that was surveyed um, recognized the need for more protein, but didn't put it as a high priority. And yet, you know, 68% of the population that was surveyed indicated that they'd like to get more protein and realized it's important. So they didn't maybe prioritize it as much as they may, maybe we feel they should. Uh, you know, the one thing that we've looked at significantly, uh, you know, and myself included as age here, is, is the need to, to maintain a healthy lifestyle and maintain your muscle mass. And, and oftentimes when yeah. you speak about working out and muscle building and activities, you know, people say, well, I, you know, I don't really want to get bulky or muscly and that kind of thing. But the reality is that there's a certain amount of muscle that we need need as human beings to maintain, you know, a healthy body and to, to fight off the disease and have a healthy immune system and, you know, be able to, uh, you know, do activities as we age. It, it prevents the onset of osteoarthritis and all these kinds of things that are healthy. And so recognizing that getting the proper protein into your diet so you can exercise and maintain your muscle mass, uh, you know, there's all kinds of studies about the amount of muscle mass that's lost, which actually begins at age 30. Right. You, know, you, you can lose up to three to eight percent of of your muscle mass every decade starting at age 30, which right. is phenomenal. And that only accelerates as you age. Right. No, sarcopenia. And, and, and certainly, you know, that's an issue that we've covered on the show before. I'm, I'm in my 50s. I actually, you don't know, but I, I, I was obese in my 30s and I lost 52 pounds. And, oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah. And, and I've more or less kept it off. But as I'm getting older now, I'm in my mid mid to late 50s now, uh, I've realized the importance of doing resistance training and weight training. And, and when you're doing that, you kind of have to make sure you're getting adequate amounts of protein. And for all those reasons that you listed, protein actually becomes even more important as we get older. So, Absolutely. So, so let's talk about what solutions you might have regarding getting more protein into you. Well, I mean, our flagship product is a, is a protein base. It's a four-stage award-winning a protein. I mean, we're, we're, we're approaching our 20th anniversary, so we've been at this for a long time, uh, you know, and we're a company that, you know, we've seen competitors come and go, trying to do various uh, products that are, you know, trying to get extra margin, <laughs> you know, work, working more around the bottom line than, a, than opposed to delivering good products. So I think, you know, our, our focus on science 
and providing quality products, you know, has really been the key here because ultimately if people get results, then they'll come back. And so, you know, our flagship product is, is Quattro, which is a four-stage protein. And the reason the four-stage component is important is that actually those four different sources of protein allow you to stay in a positive nitrogen balance for a longer time, upwards of six hours. So if you were to just take a, an isolate, uh, whey protein isolate that, you know, that's in and out of your system between 90 and 120 minutes. And all that means to you is that at a cellular level, to maintain that positive nitrogen balance, you're, you're then going out of the, the positive nitrogen balance, which is where you're going to get the muscle recovery and the, the re- rebuilding from your workouts. So it's important to have something longer term. Um, you know, the other thing that we've done is, as you've seen in the press release here, is we've launched a new product called ERA. So ERA is a, is a product that allows us to have a thermotreated, hydrolyzed way that the protein will not break down in a hot liquid, such as coffee. And typically, if you were to put a whey protein into a, into a hot beverage, it will clump up. So this yeah. has been specially treated and formulated to allow people to put it into their coffee, and it will dissolve very quickly. Uh, we've got various flavors. Uh, kind of something to suit everybody, and then there's a creamer or non-creamer version. And the reason we wanted to really bring this to market was that we know that, you know, with the busy lifestyle that you and I were just talking about, it's hard to sometimes get those extra macronutrients into your diet. And so, you know, we know that Canadians are having one, two, three cups of coffee every morning, and so to be able to add 10 or 20 grams of protein into your diet just by adding a, a pouch of something into your coffee seemed like a really convenient uh, way for people to, you know, give their morning a little bit of a boost. So, sorry, I, I, I'm a little unclear. Is your product coffee flavored or does it augment the coffee? Thank you for the question. Uh, so it, it actually just augments it. It's uh, it's a protein powder right. that goes into the coffee. So you simply make your normal coffee. You can stop at your, your favorite barista right. or make it at home and just add it to your coffee. It comes in a, in a sachet. So what flavors are there? I'm curious. So we've got vanilla, mocha, uh, hazelnut, caramel, and then we've got a natural. So kind of something for everybody. Got it. Are there any other sort of solutions you have, for example, for the Canadians who are interested in in sort of getting more fruits and vegetables into their diet? Well, great question. I mean, you know, we've seen certainly the rise of, of, uh, of greens products, greens and superfoods that are on the market, uh, many of which are coming from all over the world, uh, you know, delivered right to your door. And, and it is a way for people to, to increase the nutrients that they get into their, to their diet. So, you know, the one thing that we believe uh, wholeheartedly at Magnum is that if you don't, if you don't have something that tastes really, really great, people won't continue to maintain it. There'll be some hardcores that you know are willing to, yeah. to taste anything. And and when you get into looking at greens products, one of the challenges is there's some gnarly stuff in there that you've got to try and flavor. Yep. So you know we all we've all had kale, and you realize that it's got a very distinct potent flavor to it. And when you mix that and you try and have that every morning, it can be very tough. So, you know, we spent a long time going back with our flavorists, trying to build the flavor profile. You know, we're just launching it now. It's, uh, it's, we're happy to have it in the market, peach and pineapple, uh, peach and pineapple, uh, and and really, really tastes wonderfully. And so what we realize is that even though, uh, you know, there's lots of competition out there, uh, we tested over 40 different greens in the market. We believe we've got the best tasting one, so much so that we've actually gone out and put our money where our mouth is. We've got a money-back guarantee for anybody that doesn't like the taste of our greens. Return it. We'll, gi- we'll give you your money back. We're really excited about it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. 
thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Joshua Armstrong, Becky Kemp, Maria Dello, and Bill Russell. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For more timely, up-to-date, and accurate health and wellness information, subscribe to The Tonic Newsletter. Now distributed once a week, The Tonic Newsletter, with content curated personally by me, will keep you in the loop. There's contests, prizes, insider scoops, and so much more. Visit www.thetonic.ca and sign up today. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie@thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.